You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, on the air, Fox Sports, 940 AM Miami. Good Monday night to all of you listening. Thank you for joining us. A special edition of the Marlins Hot Stove Show. This is winter meetings time. It is time to talk baseball. I'll be with you tonight right here, 6 o'clock. And tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, a loaded show for you. Uh, and we're going to get right into it here in just a second. But Marlins General Manager Kim Ang will be joining us here momentarily. And then kept it up shortly, Marlins beat writer, MLB.com, Christina De Nicola does sensational work, will be joining us. So again, thank you for joining us here tonight, uh, live on Fox Sports, 940 AM Miami, locally here in Miami, as well as the iHeartRadio app. There's a lot to talk about this winter. What are the Marlins going to do? What can they do? What can they afford to to do how do they get this team in a position to compete with the rest of the national league east and major league baseball let's get right into the show tonight joining us right now over the phone live from the winter meetings in san diego california is marlin's third year general manager kim meng kim thank you so much for joining us tonight i'm wondering on the heels of the lockout last year this offseason feels like it's off to a very fast start with some top tier transactions and signings Uh, do you feel the same way and aggressiveness i guess you could say early on here so I guess uh, I would put it differently um, in that last year we knew when the lockout was going to start. Um, that was December 2nd. And so there was actually a flurry of activity right before then. Um, so it, it seems like, you know, this, this year it's a little bit different. It's been more spread out. We have started to see some rumblings. Uh, I think this is definitely the quiet before the storm. And I anticipate uh, there's going to be a lot of deals that are made here this week. With that being said, Kim, what's your primary objective these next few days out there in San Diego? Sure, we'd love to improve our offense. Um, you know, I think uh, you know, we saw last year we needed to do a better job in trying to help that pitching staff and get them some more run support. You know, I will say part of that was due to injuries, but you know, we can always we can always try and and get the offense better. Uh, and then we'd like to add, you know, a bullpen arm if we can. I know you mentioned you anticipate uh, plenty of activity potentially these next couple of days. You know, I don't think the winter meetings are what they used to be simply because you can call and text 365 days a year if you want. But how productive can these next few days be when you are face to face with other executives, players and teams around the league? I think it can, be, it can be really effective. You know, you, you, we obviously have our staffs here, you know, and our staffs are you know, deep They're whatever, 10, 20, 30 deep. Um, and that means you have a lot of messengers and, you know, information, you know, people gathering information. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of things can get done here. It's not just, you know, one, two, three, four people, you know, on the phone, texting, et cetera, getting deals done. You have a lot of people helping you and, and you know, seeing their colleagues. And we obviously all have different relationships, um, good relationships throughout the game. And I think that helps get deals done in the end. You mentioned improving the offense, maybe finding a piece for the bullpen. There's been speculation you are open and willing to listen on anybody with the exception of Sandy Alcantara. Is that accurate, Kim? Yeah, I think when you're trying to improve your club, uh, yeah, I think you have to be really flexible and you have to be willing to pivot. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we have to be open-minded. It doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, but when you're trying to improve the overall condition of the club, I think you have to be really open-minded. 
I think we've we've talked at length about the uh, the need to improve the offense and support what maybe is the best starting staff and pitching staff in all of Major League Baseball. You mentioned the bullpen as well. From your vantage point, to piggyback off of that, are those your biggest priorities this winter? And how do you plan on addressing them? Do you foresee more trading as opposed to the free agency market? But how do you address your needs? Again, you know, I think you have to be flexible. And so, you know, trades are hard to come by at times you know you obviously have to have the same goals you have to match up um you know whether it's prospects whether it's position uh etc you know free agency is a lot easier um although you you know you're competing with 29 other clubs um but you know at least you can target those guys specifically that you want and and you know all that needs to match up is the money um but again you know however we do it um is is you know, not as concerning as just making sure we get something done. How much of 2023 will be predicated on guys being healthy and fulfilling their potential? I know we've talked a lot about that. We've talked at length about Garcia and Soler as well as Jazz being healthy. But do you just have to assume that they'll be better, or can you not really think like that as a general manager when you approach seasons with maybe some guys you anticipated were going to be better than they were last year? No, I think you always have to be concerned about that, you know, and, and we did add some depth last year in terms of our infielders and, and that served us well to a certain point, but then the, uh, you know, probably I would say, you know, late July, the, the injuries just became overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but look, I think you always have to build your club as deep as you can get it. Um, and, you know, try and plan for the worst. Kimby, you've got the reigning national league Cy Young award winner an incredible pitching staff, when healthy and electric second baseman in jazz, again, I know we've talked about Soler and Avi, uh, who have proven themselves in the major leagues despite bad first years as Marlins. Would it be fair or unfair to label this team as one that's in win-now mode entering 2023? No, I think that's fair. Um, I think that's fair. You know, I think we tried to to show our fans that we were you know, willing to go out and, and secure players that we thought would help us win. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, in Soler's case, um, you know, had a great May where he hit nine home runs. And I think that was, um, you know, evidence of, of things that we thought were going to come, um, but unfortunately got hurt. You know, in terms of Avi Garcia, look, I think, yeah, I think he, you know, he got into a situation where maybe he just took on too much pressure, you know, and, and, you know, he knew that that he was the guy that you know got a, a big free agent contract. You know, when it came to the Marlins, and this was his hometown, and I think he probably just wanted to do so well for the fans that you know it might have affected him. So, you know, I can tell you that I saw him the other day. He looked like he was in great shape. We've seen him at the ballpark almost every single day um, since the season ended, and um, I think he has come in. Uh, he will come in with a determined mindset to turn that around and basically regress to the mean. And, and, you know, we've seen them have success. These guys have had success in their careers. Mm -hmm. Um, We see this as a bump in the road and, and, you know, we look forward to, to relying on them again for 23. I think when you talk about pressure, it's easy for us here in the media to say, yeah, this is a team that's in a win-now mode. It's easy for you to say, yeah, we should expect to win now. But do you also expect the players to put that pressure on themselves, to have that expectation in the clubhouse that, yes, we should have that expectation for ourselves in 2023, that this is a team that's capable of winning now? You know, I I actually saw the pressure on the club that they put on themselves in 2021 
when the season opened up mm-hmm. and I saw it this entire last year. Uh, I'm sorry, not the entire, but probably half the season saw it, you know, and, and pressure is a, you know, it's a pretty um, powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just depends on how you deal with it, you know? Um, and then, you know, and then I can tell you that when, you know, one part of your lineup is not necessarily performing as you think they will, you know, it, it can get contagious, yeah, it leads to other parts of your lineup. So, you know, tough season, but for 2023, we're really looking forward. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to these guys turning it around. You know, I, I can tell you that, you know, the Mets with Francisco Lindor in his first year, I think they were probably a little bit concerned. But again, you know, he re- he regressed to the mean. He had a great year last year in New York. So that's what we're looking for from our guys. Very fair. A lot of guys in their second year with the new organization tend to rebound. Kim, how much different, if at all, is this team going to look under the direction of Skip Schumacher from your conversations with Skip and really the way that he'd like his team to play this season? You know, I don't really want to compare and contrast, but what I do think we'll see is, you know, Skip, when you meet him, when you talk to him one-on-one or in a group, you can really see the energy and and enthusiasm that he has. And I think that's going to pervade the club. On the way out the door here, Kim, I know the coaching staff has not been announced, but we do know that Mel Stottlemyre Jr. is back. I'm told he's great. We always hear it. And it's evident that he is by the way that he works and the work that he's done and the way his pitching staff and his staffs have performed. But in, in your eyes, Kim, in your conversations with Mel and watching him and watching him work, what makes this man so great at what he does? Uh, I think number one, attention to detail. Mm. I think number two, and this is not in pref order, uh, <laughs> but number two, um, the relationship that he has with his pitchers, I think, is off the charts. And number three, the time that he spends individually with them. Um, I see it every day when I go down the clubhouse. Um, he is making sure that the pitchers are absolutely prepared in what they need to do. And then, you know what? I'll say number four is the follow-up. Mm-hmm. In terms of the starters, the day after they start, he goes through with them, you know, what exactly, you know, the mistakes were, were, you know, and and he points to things that they need to get better. And so, you know, he really is um, a true professional and um, really cares about his players. I think that's that's also a big part of this equation. Good stuff. Kim, as always, we thank you for the time and good luck out there these next few days in San Diego. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Kyle. Okay, thank you again to Marlins General Manager Kim Eng. Terrific stuff. Much more from Kim tomorrow night from the winter meetings, and we'll certainly keep you posted as to what's going on with the Marlins as this season rolls along. Our second guest joining us now from San Diego does sensational work on Marlins.com, MLB.com. Christina De Nicola, tough act to follow following the third-year general manager, Kim Eng. But, Christina, thank you so much for joining us tonight. How's everything going out there? Uh, pretty tired. You know, a long travel day yesterday, but uh, happy to be here. Excited to see what maybe the Marlins might be cooking up the next few days. It is an exciting time, and I'm not out there in San Diego this year, but having been at prior uh, winter meetings, it's just fun because there's always a buzz. There's always people at the hotel bar. That bar makes so much money. I would love to own the hotel bar at the winter meetings, but, you know, you just you feel the buzz. It's fun. It is, and, uh, you know, when we're recording this, uh, the Mets just signed uh, Justin Verlander, so we're already off. On a big note, I guess. Uh, yeah. Saw that, and we're going to talk about how the Marlins keep pace in the National League East. Uh, let's start all the way at the top, though. Let's start with Marlins general manager Kim Eng, entering her third season in Miami. A two-win improvement in 2022 compared to 2021. We can rehash all the injury issues, but we all know how it transpired. A terrific starting rotation. 
not enough offense. What's her goal and objective? And we had a chance to chat with her a few minutes ago. But the way you see it, Christina, what are and what should be Kim's goals and objectives, not just the next few days, but the next few months? Right. Uh, you know, it's no secret. Bats, right? It was the same thing last year. Uh, they felt they did enough. And then, you know, we don't want to rehash it, but injuries, underperformance, I'm sure she said all of that. Uh, and as you alluded to, how do the Marlins uh, keep pace in the National League East, which, in my opinion, is the most competitive and difficult division in baseball? Three teams make the playoffs last year. The Mets get bounced early. Braves had a terrific year. Both the Mets and the Braves won 101 games. And then the come-from-behind Phillies go all the way to the Fall Classic. Uh, you talk about bats. Okay, here comes the Brian Reynolds news the last couple of days. Your thoughts there. Center field, obviously, a position of need for the Marlins. Right. That, that's, you know, once again, center field is a position of need. Uh, in my opinion, I have several thoughts on this. Brian Reynolds, no doubt, a great bat would improve the lineup. I think with any player, no matter how great he is, you're going to have to maybe slightly adjust because of the ballpark he's going to play in, the National League East teams he's going to face, pitchers he probably doesn't face as much. I mean, we saw it with Francisco Lindor his first year in the division. We saw it with Avisail Garcia in 2022 with Marlins. Um, in terms of him uh, defensively in center field, he was uh, the worst among qualified uh, center fielders in all of baseball. And, you know, he's going to be going to a spacious Lone Depot Park if, you know, the Marlins were to pull a trade. That's something to consider. You know, as you get older, usually your speed, your skills decline a bit. Uh, so I think it's a matter of, one, how much do the Marlins want to value the, the offense over the defense? Uh, because, you know, forever it seems like, you know, the case in baseball is you want to be strong at the middle, especially now with the way the shifts are going to be kind of not banned, but, you know, changed yeah. a bit. So you want to be strong catcher, which, you know, they have the gold glove winner from 2021, Jacob Stallings. You got, as of now, Miguel Rojas, Jasmine Jr., and then center field. So what do you do there? And then uh, also, if you're going to have a package for, let's say, Brian Reynolds, who's controllable, is he the guy that puts you over the top? Like, you need to remember that this prospect capital you've been building, whether it's, let's say, Jake Eater, Yuri Perez or like current, you know, big league guys is Brian Reynolds, the one that you're going to go all in for because you still have other needs. So if you go all in on Brian Reynolds with these, you know, assets, let's say, you know, if it comes to trade deadline and you're still in it, you don't have those assets anymore to make another move. So you've got to be careful about, you know, picking and choosing on the trade front, you know, whether like Brian Reynolds or maybe even like a Cedric Mullins from the Orioles, you know, what's your, you know, sending over in order to get. In your opinion, Christine, I trust your opinion here. Who should they target? Is Brian Reynolds the guy? Is it worth two or three top prospects and a major league position player? How much should they value at this point in this juncture with this rotation, offense over defense? And that's the tricky thing. I mean, look at the way the market is right now for free agent pitchers, right? The Marlins have controllable starting pitching, and you're seeing why it's so valuable because look how expensive the market is for pitching right now, Right. You got Justin Verlander signing this unreal deal. You had, who knows what Carlos Rodon's going to get, like Chris Bassett, Jacob DeGrom. I feel like I'm missing a, one in from the second tier. Uh, Taiwan Walker, there's, with, there's those right? type of guys in there. Right, and and so but that's one of the things. You, the Marlins have that starting pitching. You've got to capitalize on it now while it's still relatively cheap that you can afford it, even if you have the Cy Young winner in Sandy Alcantara. So that's something you do need to weigh in with, but also in my opinion, 
Uh, and I have to give credit to uh, my MLB.com colleague, Juan Torribio with the Dodgers. Uh, when I was helping covering the National League uh, Championship Series, he was like, Cody Bellinger, Marlins have to get Cody Bellinger. And of course, with that, it's going to be competing with other clubs in terms of money. Uh, but it does it beat so, does it beat getting rid of prospects? I I, I don't right I don't right. That. That's why that's why I like the idea because you know worst case scenario for the Marlins they're out of it by the trade deadline you can flip them. You know he's one of those guys who could be a really good bounce back candidate. Great defensively in center can also play first base, which as of now Garrett Cooper is the only first baseman on the forty man roster. And he can't be the whole season. Of, you can't expect him to go play one hundred and fifty games and stay healthy at first base, a quality first base. Exactly. So that with Coley Ballinger is also a lefty bat, and it's a very right-handed heavy lineup for the Marlins. Uh, with the way the shifts aren't going to be, I would expect he'd see more hits. And then, you know, we still haven't gotten official word on the coaching staff, but if, you know, rumors are true that the uh, hitting coach is what Brant Brown. That's what's out is, there, yeah. Coming from is, L.A. You know, right, and... You know, if you put the do like the like corkboard conspiracy theory, you know, put stuff together. I mean, I don't know how his relationship was with Brand Brown, but that seems well, like he was there nice when he fit. won the MVP. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, that to me, that makes the most sense. Have you seen any but, numbers floated out there for Bellinger? All right. So before he was non tendered, I believe he was kind of due for 18 million for his final year of arbitration. So I would assume, which, you know, what they say about assuming. Uh, it could be a little bit less than that. But so the idea is that he would sign maybe a one-year deal, prove his you know, value, and so he could get a longer-term deal moving forward. Here's the thing, Christina. I want to go back to the pitching for a second because I love the idea of Cody Bellinger, wow. and here's why. You've effectively right now have six starting rotation members, Alcantara, Lopez, Rogers, Lizardo, Cabrera, and Garrett. I think all six are on the Major League roster. One of those guys starts the season in the bullpen. After that, how much rotation depth do they truly have early in the season? Like, how much should they be willing to part ways with? You know, Yuri Perez, Dax Fulton, Max Myers done for the entire season. Where's the depth coming from? They're going to have to go sign major league veteran starting guys for depth. In my opinion, I know they have a lot of depth. They have great starting pitching. But I don't think they have enough to trade a couple of these guys for offense because if a couple of these guys go down early and I'm not talking catastrophic injuries but guys that miss maybe four to six weeks with a cranky shoulder who's getting these innings right and that's the tricky thing uh one of the things you know they had to put guys back on the 40-man roster and a few of those names you mentioned and so because of that as a result some of those starting pitching depth pieces let's say like an Hernandez or Nick Neider they're out of the system now, right? right? Because you had to bring back Jazz Chisholm Jr., Jorge Soler, Max Meyer, Anthony Bender, even though those latter two guys won't pitch in 2023. You know, Bender probably should by the end of the year at least because he's a bullpen arm. But as a result, Marlins lost that starting pitching depth. And, you know, the one thing we always hear is you can never have enough starting pitching. Every so, year it proves to be true. It rears its ugly head at some point, And you've got to write an article about where do the Marlins turn to now. Everybody does. 30 teams. Yeah, and look what happened in 2022, right? Every guy except Sandy and Pablo was hurt at some point in terms of starting pitchers, right? So, And Pablo obviously has the history of injury. And so, it, you know, but I, I still think that they probably would trade because if, you know, Kim mentioned, I guess, on MLB Network Radio this morning that one, two, three bats, what's the likelihood yeah. that all two or three are acquired, you know, via free agency, right? And so... 
not high. You do have, right, exactly. So we start with Cody Bellinger signing, right? Get that one out of the way. I, <laughs> I like that, though, because look, I, do. I know there's so much talk, and I know they feel like Pablo Lopez is a terrific trade candidate. I don't disagree with that. And I think a trade for Pablo would immensely help your offense immediately. My concern is if you trade a guy like Pablo out of your rotation, you then truly on your 40-man roster have five starting pitchers, and I'm not convinced that the young guys that might be superstars in the minor leagues are ready for the big leagues yet. Well, absolutely. Like Yuri Perez, he was on a roll in AA, and then he had an oblique issue, missed about a month. Is Dak and then Fulton he came back ready and for the major leagues? Jake Eater's not. He's coming off injury. Right. He's coming off Tommy John surgery, expected to be ready spring training, but he's still going to have to start probably in double A to get back into things. It's more uh, complicated a- than people think because fans just say, Absolutely. OK, trade Pablo and get some offense. You still have a terrific starting staff. Everybody says that 30 major league teams. I've always said this 30 major league teams to start the season. If they don't have a single injury, everybody's good. Like everybody could win all year long within reason but it goes off the rails once you once you once you have an injury or two so it, it's much more complicated than people think in my opinion yeah absolutely and it's one of those things once again it's a 162 game season mm-hmm. so you need to have that depth to get through it that's the perfect example is let's say the Dodgers organization right they have one through maybe 50 50 guys that they can have come up from AAA to fill in and that's one of the things you know the Marlins were missing when all those injuries happened as we mentioned before not just the underperformance, not just the prospects that came up when they were called up and, you know, didn't perform, which obviously played a role in some of those offensive numbers toward the end of the season. So it's, it's multifaceted, you know, it's not just black and white. There's a lot to take into consideration and I don't envy Kim and the rest of the front office. I hear you. All right. uh, We can have this conversation for hours. Let's move along to the coaching staff under the direction of first-year manager Skip Schumacher. Again, I had an opportunity to ask Kim earlier, does she envision this thing looking a whole lot different? And, you know, within reason, I don't think anybody expects it to be a total 360 from Donnie to Skip Schumacher. It's not like there's an overhaul of 35 new players and this thing looks totally different. In fact, a lot of the guys are here. What's going to look different is guys being healthy and potentially performing. But, Christina, in your opinion, do you foresee a much different-looking team on the field compared to the one we saw last year under the direction of Skip? Um, you know, I think what's going to be interesting, obviously, once again, it goes back to health, but just in terms of having the fresh minds, maybe perspectives of guys who haven't been in the organization, you know, Mel Stoudemire Jr. and Wellington Zapata was standing uh, to work with these existing ballplayers from this club and see what they can get out of them. Because I think the perfect models for the Marlins are the Rays and Guardians. Mm-hmm. You know, they get the most out of their players. They might not be superstars or the high payroll guys like the Mets have, the Braves have, the Yankees have, but they're able to get the best out of them. I mean, the Astros are a perfect example too, right? And it's that analytics driven, the being able to maybe get the report. I don't, you know, it's just, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what these fresh faces in here, what they can do. And it's, you know, maybe that's part of what, ha- you know, helps them, the health and guys maybe playing up to their potential that you don't need to have three bats. Maybe it's just two. Here, here's and another interesting everyone, thing. And not everyone's under, you know, and not everyone's yeah. underperforming because pretty much everyone did. Well, here's another right, thing, Christina, and I think it's something we often talk about as well. And this is certainly not a knock on Donnie by any means, but when a new regime comes in, there's generally 
an assessment of the standard that's been set, like the work ethic, the culture, how we're going to do things. And to me, Skip Schumacher has never been somewhere where, come in, do your thing, man, you know. And Donnie wasn't that way either. But this is a guy coming from a Cardinals organization who's got a very bitter taste in its mouth, by the way, after the way last season ended the Phillies in the playoffs. Like, this is a guy that doesn't know anything other than you're going to come here and you're going to work. And the 10 hours that you're here a day, you know, we can have some fun, but this is business. And you better take it personal every day that you're performing for an organization and for a fan base that has wanted to win for a really long time. Exactly. And then even with the front office edition of Ozzo Campo yeah. from the Astros, right? That helps the front office staff. Standard. I think Kim, right. And Kim had a great line about, you know, three heads are better than two or three, or three four is better than three in yeah. terms of having three assistant GMs and her. It's, you get like those fresh perspectives, the way that things are done in other places. You don't want everyone having the same ideas and like-minded ideas. That's just not going to help the organization. And I think that can only help, especially, you know, front office and the coaching staff. So yeah, but the thing I find interesting is because of the World Baseball Classic uh, coming up, how much time they'll actually get as a club and with the coaching staff to actually work together ahead of the regular season. We talk a lot about Jorge Soler, Avi Garcia, Jazz Chisholm. I mean, Cooper's got to stay healthy. That That's a guy that we've said for years, like, let him go. Now, as it stands now, if Jorge Soler is going to take a bulk of the DH load to keep him healthy because that's where his value is, is hitting the ball, Garrett Cooper cannot be expected to go play first baseball season. That's besides the point. I guess what my question would be, Christina, when you look at the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, a Nationals team that doesn't happen very often, you literally saw them in front of your eyes get much better from day one to game 162 last year, and they don't accept like three or four or five-year rebuilds. That team's coming too. Do you think this team... As it's currently constructed, it would be unfair for me to ask you, but do you think the way this thing looks in spring, in March, will be able to compete in the National League East in 2023? No, I, I'm i a proponent, and it, maybe it's not you know thought of from the front office or maybe other organizations, but you need to have the difference maker, the guy you can rely on. Um, you look in the playoffs, there was Bryce Harper, there was Jeremy Pena for the Astros, Judge didn't, you know, kind of was quiet in the playoffs, but John Carlos Stanton, former Marlin, was leading them the first two rounds. I think, you know, Jazz could be that guy if he can stay healthy. We saw that until he got hurt. Uh, but I think you need to have that person that can carry the team mm -hmm. and you have the complementary pieces around them. And then the issue, though, there is those kind of guys are on the free agent market right now, especially shortstop, but very, very pricey risk involved with all of them uh you know maybe comes in a trade and that's where you would you know give away those prospects and that's part of why you you know build up a farm system and develop them so it's, it's very complicated i don't want people to think that you're just being negative and saying no there's always ways that you can find a way to compete um but the marlins they're in a situation where there's three other superb playoff caliber teams in the division. Now they do see them, what, six or seven times less this year. They'll play them all 14 times, but there's a lot of work to be done, and it might be the best starting pitching staff in Major League Baseball. Um, you never know. If they put a couple of bats in this thing and stay healthy, you got to have some good fortune. We'll see how the summer plays out. Exactly, and that's going back to, you know, as frustrating as it might have been for fans to watch games in 2022, players you know that marlins were almost always in the game and it was because of that pitching staff mm -hmm. and so that's the one thing if 
get a bat or two that can help out. We could still play those lower scoring games, you know, make an improvement in the bullpen. That's how the Rays win. That's how the Guardians win. They're not out slugging teams, you know, and that's the model the Marlins can fall. And, you know, we saw it in April and maybe parts of May when the Marlins were healthy, what they were capable of, capable of. Uh, and then it kind of just unraveled. So it's, you know, it obviously the big name guys are mm-hmm. in those other bigger markets you know, teams in the National League East. You know another thing, Christina? To Sorry done. to interrupt you. You know another thing that, that piques my interest, and I, I got to run here because I know we could do this for hours. The one-run games last year, okay, if the Marlins would hit a couple more cutoff men and run the bases, fundamentals, I mean, that could have been 10, 15 wins right there. I know it sounds crazy, but people should keep that into perspective too. All those one-run games, how many times did somebody overthrow a cutoff guy, the guy gets a second, another base hit, scores, they lose the game, base running mistakes. All that, that that little stuff can get cleaned up in spring training, and I think they could be better. They And they add up, right? It's the little things. Don Manning used to say that as well. You know, it's the little things that can make a difference. And so, what, in 2020, they were superb in one-run games. Sometimes those can be... You know, very year to year. I think the Mariners had an unreal one run uh, advantage or record in 2021. It was probably around the same last year. That's the trademark of a good club and also translates to the playoffs too, right? Because usually games are very close. And that's if you can win them in the regular season, you advance the playoffs, you've played enough of them. You uh, And once again, harking back to the Guardians and Rays, maybe even Astros to an extent, yeah. those teams play close games, low scoring games. They, do they make the plays right? They don't beat themselves, and that's going to be the Marlins' way if they're going to compete with, as you said, two one hundred and one win clubs, and then the Phillies, who were third place and made the World Series. Outstanding stuff, Christina. Thank you so much for the time, and uh, we'll be sure to do this again soon. That sounds good. Thanks, Christina De Nicola, Marlins.com and MLB.com. Thank you to both Kim and Christina for joining us for this 30-minute show here tonight. That's going to wrap it up. I'll be back with you tomorrow night at 6 o'clock right here on Fox Sports, 940 a.m. Miami for Ricardo Wancham, Kyle Seeloff saying so long and good night. Again, winter meetings talk tomorrow night, 6 o'clock on your home for Marlins baseball, Fox Sports, 940 a.m. Miami.